I just am no, I'm just no good. I'm no good. Like, you know, like even last week, I, I went and hung out with uh, Maddie a little bit. We yeah. drank some sours, mm-hmm. which was cool. Yeah. I'm, I am just, I'm just, I'm, I'm a crazy person. I'm just, I just, I come home and I'm like three days later, I'm like, I can't breathe as I start. What's, do I have it? I think I have it. <laughs> and then I'm like, I got, I got phone calls to make, you know, another thing is I don't want to oh, make, Larry. I want to make phone calls and be like, Hey man, I think <laughs> oh, say goodbye to everybody. Well, no, because I'm saying like, <laughs> no, what I'm just saying is like, you know, like I don't want to accidentally yeah, give it. You don't want to pass it to someone else. Yeah. No. So it's like when I go home, not only do I think I get it, I'm also like stressed out over and what, I, the, the chain, the entire chain. Yeah, the that whole, can then yeah. Be, yes. The contact like, tracing. Oh, yeah, you want to oh, let people crap. know. Yes, because I feel them. like you have to. Yes. And mm-hmm. like, so it's that kind of freaking gotcha. mental thing that's happening. So. Yeah. Have you guys done any fun <laughs> kind of, I mean, there's like fun takes on social things. Like my buddy had a birthday a month or two ago. And so, you know, we held a parade where we all, we like told him to stand outside of his apartment <laughs> and we all just drove, like it was like probably 20 cars of, nerdy guys basically like driving around the block and like waving to him and honking this is so la it's so la just like car birthday am i being bad here i i've had friends over a couple times hanging outside in the driveway and we're like in chairs and you know we'd like keep six feet distance that was yeah that that birthday parade was well for it was a lot of people and it was like partly a fun stunt and also it was early on but but, you know i think it depends because i think there's a way to be careful like like larry said yeah they larry and and his wife rachel and a couple other friends came over and we sat in the back back behind my building in the driveway and yeah we just kept our distance Mm -hmm. we shared some beers i probably went too hard on i I like for i was really craving sours after our last episode so i bought (laughs) I went to I went and I just was basically going down the line at the bottle shop that I like, just I'll grabbing grabbing yeah, just this, grabbing random sours that I hadn't heard of the brewery before, you know? Yeah, cool. Black Project was one that I really enjoyed. I don't know if they have any sort of reputation. Oh, Do you good. Know them? Uh, in Denver, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know too much about them. I was going to feature them in a uh, Denver or a Colorado craft beer tasting. I did a virtual beer tasting recently. Oh, cool. Um, we ended up not using them for for a variety of reasons, but. Um, I was curious about it. So did did you like it? I, loved, I, use them I, I loved it. I, I had one before that that I had called Mystic, I think, that had pomegranate in it. It was real nice. And uh, Larry, mm-hmm. I forget the one we shared, Larry. You liked it too, right? It was that first one. Yeah, I, I thought it was good. Yeah. Yeah, some good sours. Was it sour, Larry? <laughs> Therefore, was it good? It was sour. Therefore, it was good. Yeah, no, it was good. Some more of that pickle beer has made it back into uh, into my life. Uh oh! Grab me, grab me a can. <laughs> bring it. There's home. one can of it, and it's sitting at the brewery. And uh, I, I don't think I can grab it for you. You're gonna have to uh, go to Texas to get it. Well, why would you tell me it's come back into your life? <laughs> Just to be a jerk. Oh, oh, I see. So it was intentional. I was about to say. Did it work? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a new sour beer in my life, which is actually what I'm drinking right now, mm-hmm. which is called Twisted Karma. Ooh. And I'm not here to plug the brewery that I work at, but this beer is from the brewery I work at. And so I grabbed a can on the way home today. And it's delicious. I'm pumped that we have – it's the first sour beer that I've been involved with at this brewery. And, um, I mean, I wasn't very involved with it. I cleaned the tank that it that it was brewed in. But it's, it's just a simple raspberry sour. Uh, you get some acidity from the raspberries. You get some acidity for, from some lactic acid. Uh, there's some acidulated malt that's added that has – that's basically malt that's been soured with lactic acid. Um, so it's a super simple sour, but it's like it's like crack. Like I just I grabbed oh, wow. one off the off the canning line today, and I uh, it's a yeah. sixty ounce can, and before I knew it was gone. Nice. So it's wow. a yummy beer. 
Nice. I'm I'm drinking yeah, a uh, I'm drinking the Stella Artois. I'm not going sour right now. I'll admit. Uh-huh. I'm going with the Stella Artois Solstice Lager, just because I Ooh. somewhere I picked up a six pack of the Solstice Lager, so I thought it was seasonally appropriate. So oh, for summer solstice, I guess. Yes. I was thinking you were saying something about salsa. Salsa, I was like, oh, it's salsa a- lager, solstice. I guess I should say solstice. <laughs> yeah, I give it a little bit of a draw. Uh, the solstice, 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 solstice. How many have you had? One or two. This is number six. <laughs> Hence two. the draw. I honestly, I uh, don't know how it's different from Stella Artois, but Stella Artois is kind of my go-to big beer. Yeah, well, you're giving your money to the same place. <laughs> Butter still. <laughs> I was just going to say, Larry, what are you sipping on? It's not, it's not overly exciting. It's a stone IPA. I wouldn't say it's sour, but it's uh, got a little grapefruit uh, aspect to it, which is... Somewhat sour, so I'm mad. There you go. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, what up, everybody? You're listening to Liquid Bread. I'm Matty Smith, and with me are my buddy, actor Larry Bates. Hey, what's happening? What's happening? And my other buddy, the Master Cicerone, and the top dog of Tart, Rich Higgins. Hey, Rich. <laughs> hey. <laughs> they often call me the top dog of Tart. I, I hear it a lot. Change, yeah, this is not the first they need time. They need to change the name to, of actor to something like Master Actor. Master. It's like you go, this is, this is my buddy, uh, this is my buddy Larry, actor Larry Bates, and this is <laughs> like, Master Cicero <laughs> Rush's Yeah, why well, can't you Master Thespian? There you go. Star of stage and screen. <laughs> Frequently awesome. spotted trotting the boards. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean... I should, I don't, I really, because I grew up with Master, you know, getting called Master Bates a lot because of my last name. So I think uh, maybe I should. Clever. It was a family-friendly yeah. podcast. I don't, not really, I guess. It's about alcohol. <laughs> I don't know where that lands. Um, so one thing I wanted to bring up, uh, Rich, because we got like really in-depth, I think, last time. Like we jumped really yeah, deep. Yeah, we nerded out. Hours. Yeah. And I almost wanted to dial it back, make it a little more casual at first for this. Because I was, honestly, after we did our episode, I was playing video games with a buddy, um, my buddy Hoppa. He lives in the Pacific Northwest. And basically, we've talked about beers um, a lot. He likes beers a lot. He's not like super into them. He's not a big craft beer head, but he tries them out and he's in a good region for beer. But I brought up that I was drinking a sour beer and his response was basically he'd never had a sour beer before. And he was like, oh, what? Oh, sour beer? Oh, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. So I kind of almost wanted to to take it back all the way back and to simplify it into like, what do you see as like the best way to intro people to a sour beer? Like someone who's like, Oh, beers can be sour, both in terms of like what you'd recommend to try. And also just kind of, how would you pitch it to someone whose response is, Oh, how is it? How does that work? Like, it sounds kind of weird. Right. Like what, what's wrong with just regular beer? Why, yeah. Why, why is there a sour? It's like a different, <laughs> yeah. It's like, why, what's wrong with Stella? Why do we need solstice? Yeah. Salsa mm. and Stella. Salsa. Uh, well, I hear you. So actually I'm embarrassed. Uh, I don't know about embarrassed. I'm, <laughs> I'm annoyed at myself. I was thinking about uh, the last episode and I went into this thing saying like, Oh, sour beers are below four pH, which is not, re- I mean, it's true, but it's not four pH. Isn't like this magical number. And it was a bit misleading. So, so yeah, let's take the step back. I'm going to discuss pH in a sec, but here, here's how <laughs> I was going to say, would... we just said, let's, let's make it not too nerdy and keep it casual. And your first thing you say is, well, we got four pH. Well, <laughs> pH I'm both count. casual <laughs> and nerdy at the same time. <laughs> That's why we love it. It's like how James Bond is both sexy and uh, dangerous. I'm both Ooh. casual and nerdy. <laughs> it's my, my special skills. Nice. Oh, yeah, um, go ahead. So, all right. So sour beers are, are beers where they have a noticeable sourness to them. Okay. They, they are a beer first and foremost, but they, they actually have a, a heightened acidity. So you, you taste the sourness. Okay. And sourness can range from like lightly sour, lightly tart to aggressively sour and something where it's like, Whoa, that's for sure. going to give me heartburn or it's going to, you know, I can feel the, the enamel on my teeth, you know, being ripped off yeah. right now. 
So there's a real range of acidity and, and we taste it on our tongues as sour. Okay. And sourness, a, a real trigger or a way to understand sourness is it is um, when your tongue tastes it, you immediately have a salivating response. Okay. And that's your body producing saliva, which will dilute the sourness mm -hmm. of what's in your mouth. Okay. When you taste something sweet, you might or might not have a mouthwatering uh, you know, effect. Bitterness, you might or may not. Okay. But sourness, you will. Okay. So you will definitely um, start to salivate. So that's a sour beer. Yeah, is that why I it's is that why it's refreshing? Like is it, maybe I'm just a little rube, but I but I feel like when I hear sour, I don't think that that's going to be like the refreshing drink that's going to be really nice to drink when it's hot and it's summertime. But that said, I do think sour beers are very refreshing. And I don't know quite why that is cuz tart kind of sounds, you know, intense and like acidic. It just sounds like it's going to be a little more abrasive for when you want something like smooth and that's going to refresh your palate. Is it the salivation aspect that makes it so refreshing. Is this a is this a nonsense question for which there's no real answer? It's not a nonsense, <laughs> Maddie. This is what what keeps me up at night. I, okay. I it's often trying to figure, <laughs> figure this stuff out. Every now and then I'm like, oh, is it just cause? <laughs> no. Well, all right. So water is the most refreshing thing in the world, right? We need water. Love water. That's what. Mm -hmm. That's like one of the, without other than oxygen, our bodies will fail most quickly without water. Mm -hmm. Right. So water is the most refreshing thing. Water often has minerals in it, including a lot of salts, and these things can help uh, our body work, you know, elect electrically, electronically, <laughs> not electronically, but, you know, you need electrolytes to, to have cells work and com communicate with each other. So you do need some salt in there. The acidity thing is not really something that we need that much necessarily, but uh, when you think about something like, like lemon juice is very sour. Is it refreshing? No, yeah. it's too sour to enjoy. <laughs> Larry, I hear yes, <laughs> Larry. Uh, well, I'm think I'm it, actually thinking if you take lemon juice with and make some lemonade is where I was going. With well, that. exactly. Yeah, so I'm yeah. making lemonade out of our lemons here. So is is maple syrup refreshing? No, no. like it's all sugar, right? It's water, yeah. a little bit of water, and a whole lot of sugar. But lemonade is sweetness, so it's sugar and it's sourness. Um, that are adding flavor to water, mm -hmm. right? So if you have other stuff in your water that can potentially heighten the refreshing note, and so that can be something like the salts and electrolytes that are in something like Gatorade or something like the sourness of various acidic things. And if they're too sour, you need to have some sweetness in there. Uh, likewise, if something's too sweet, it's not going to be that refreshing, but sourness will will reduce that sense of sweetness. I might have just muddied the waters more than anything there. I don't know. I guess I don't I don't have a full No, answer. it kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But it, it kind of feels yeah. like you're dancing around it. But yeah, but that's why it is like a weird. <laughs> oh, I heard that, Maddie. What? Dancing around. You're, you're dancing no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I feel like we're, we're, we're getting to it. We're going to figure <laughs> oh, out this oh, age-old question. See. But um, here's the deal. I was talking about this last time. All beer is sour. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All beer yeah. is acidic. And so something like, again, like maple syrup is not acidic or like a jar of vaseline or something i'm trying to think something fatty i don't know i like that i went to vaseline. Vaseline. like <laughs> you know you can't drink them when they're room temp but if you throw them in the microwave for a couple minutes <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a big gulp that's for winter time that's when you're <laughs> that's right that's montana indoors. so yeah i mean if something's really fatty or sweet these are not refreshing aspects but um you know when you think of refreshing beverages whether it's beer or wine or fruit juice or whatever you know yeah we're talking about stuff that's acidic so 
I get, yeah. I guess sourness is, is refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not right. entirely yeah. helpful. Uh-huh. No, and back yeah. to what we started talking about. <laughs> all right. I do want to say, all right. So, so pH is part of the acidity equation, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of brewers and a lot of beer people really focus on pH to describe the acidity of beer. In the wine world, pH is only one half of what is discussed. Actually, what's discussed even more often is something called TA, total acidity or titratable acidity, two different things. But basically, Total acidity is the amount of acid in usually a glass of wine, but also you can use it for beer or lemonade or whatever. Um, pH is the strength of that acid. Oh, interesting. All right. So it's another sort of dimension to the acidity. And in the beer world, increasingly, as sour beer uh, matures from the new, from like craft brewers in the United States primarily, like a lot of Belgian brewers that have been doing it for hundreds of years and this is just the way they make beer and it's sour and they don't, you know, they, they may not really take it to a lab or really analyze it as, as, uh, as acutely or precisely as, as some of the newer breweries are doing. But I know some newer brewers that are measuring specifically the total acidity as well as the pH. And you can start to see that on some beer labels now, which I really appreciate because pH is only half of the discussion of, of sourness. So basically if the beer tastes sour, it's sour. If it has a noticeable acidity, it's a sour beer. Congratulations. Okay. If you want to talk about pHs, it's generally south of four. Okay. Something south of three is kind of difficult to drink. Like there are some lambics out there that are like 2.8 pH. Those are aggressively sour. But again, that's the strength of that sourness. What are, what, what are, what are those beers? Yeah, Larry's taking what are, what are those? <laughs> so there's one producer I know of that I, there's a table in a, in a sour beer book that I've read that um, lists Hansen's, various lambics from Hansen's. They call it Hansen's Artisanal, I think is the name of the brewery. Okay. Um, they're south of Brussels. Uh, you can't visit them. They're, they're not open to the public. But these are great beers, mm-hmm. and some of them are aggressively sour, and they're very low pH. And then as far as t- uh, TA, you might notice a beer tasting sour at about 5 grams per liter, I guess, is how it's – is that, that that's the unit. And a really sour beer might be 13 or 14 uh, grams per liter of, uh, of total acid. Okay. So anywhere between five might be like a lightly sour goza, perhaps mm-hmm. up to, uh, you know, 13 or 14 might be, you know, that Hanson's, that Hanson's Lambic. Okay. So we nerded out there, but I hope I did it casually. Yeah. I did it causally. I'll tell you so, that. <laughs> you did. Let's discuss one current event. I don't know if this is a current event. It's more of a PSA. Don't let your beer cans explode. And this is relevant. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Beer, beer cans are exploding? Beer cans are exploding, Larry. And we, we got to do something about it. They're, they're blowing up everywhere. Um, and this is a thing I've, I feel like every year I see one or two stories about this. And Rich, I'm sure this is something you've experienced and thought about. Basically, and I'm my me up at night. And this this comes from there was one story recently about Trillium, but it really applies to other to a lot a lot of places. And essentially, especially with like sour beers and beers with like fruits in them and an unfermented sugars, uh, when they're taken home. Rich, you might need to correct me on it, but I, I see it as like if they're, especially if they're kept warm, mm-hmm. they start fermenting again um, and they can potentially uh, explode. And so there are every, every uh, year, there are just these stories of, you know, people taking home cases of beer from the brewery. They get home, these beers are exploding. Uh, the most recent story was about, I guess, Trillium, which is in Boston or in Massachusetts. Uh, they had a lot of cases um, of beer being taken home and exploding, and they made a statement oh, that didn't quite nightmare. didn't quite apologize um, for it, and kind of <laughs> we the, told you to keep it. Cold the initial statement was ass. like, "Yeah, you could have kept it cold," Drink but I, it. but I will say to their credit, they also did. 
they, there was a little bit of backlash. They did, they did come out again though and say like, oh, yeah, we're not blaming them and we did offer refunds and everything. So, you know, they handled it well and I do like that brewery. <laughs> so Rich, is that basically the long and short of it? When they have fruits and unfermented sugars in them, there's a little bit of a danger that these beers are going to explode? Yeah. I mean, well, look at it this way. Basically, gas builds up uh, in a closed container, uh, such as a can or a bottle of beer, uh, for for one or two of two reasons. One is there are uh, sugars present that can be fermented by any sort of, you know, bacteria or yeast, all right? And these bacteria and yeast will produce gas, all right? So mm. that's reason one. The other reason is any gas that's in a beer will expand in volume if, uh, you know, at warmer temperatures, all right? And so if you have the combination of perhaps summer, summertime weather, okay, it's July right now as we record this episode, so uh, things are pretty hot here, at least in the northern hemisphere, and so Trillium probably most is, of our so, yeah, most of our listeners are in the northern hemisphere. So well, we're safe. very good of them. We're safe. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, this is a northern hemisphere podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, we skew northern. So if you this was a fruited beer, you said from Trillium. I'm not familiar. I think it was. Yeah, it was a North 450 okay. North Fruit. Is that it? Yeah, I don't have it up right now. Okay. Um, but it was yeah. kind of just tied into like a lot of it is like mil- milkshake IPAs also having a lot of a sour yeah. IPAs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, here's the oh, deal. Or Berliner Weiss are... um, was, I think, maybe the big one for them, looks like. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. So fruits actually have very simple sugars. And by simple, I mean they are very highly fermentable or very easily fermentable. And so it's rare that you would add fruit to a beer unless you add it way after fermentation. Okay, if uh, during fermentation, if there's any uh, live yeast in the beer, it's going to consume those sugars very easily. A bigger issue is when you have uh, more complex sugars like dextrins uh, or maybe even caramels or something, which wouldn't come from fruit. Caramels would come from, you know, toasted grain or something like that. Those things might pass through the initial fermentation and into the finished beer to add body to the beer. So like a milkshake IPA typically has maltodextrin in it or various dextrins that come from oats or wheat or something like that. Um, and those are complex enough that they might f- pass through that first fermentation. Uh, but then once they get into the can or the bottle, if there's any other live yeast in there, um, you know, the beer wasn't filtered. It wasn't uh, sterile filtered or something, for instance. Most craft brewers do not sterile filter their beer because they want to leave a lot of flavor in the beer. Sterile filtration filters out a lot of that flavor. But in the process, if you have some of those more complex carbohydrates in the beer, they could potentially break down. A couple of episodes we were talking about hop creep, uh, right, the hilarious yeah. term. Um, <laughs> so that's that's another example where you might have enzymes from hops. Okay. Uh, and in a milkshake IPA, there are tons and tons of hops that are added. Um, those those enzymes might break down some of those complex carbohydrates into simple carbohydrates, which are rapidly fermentable. And at that point, you're not anticipating the fermentation, and the beer's in the package already. The right. beer's in you know the can or the bottle, and then. Boom, you know, and keep it, you know, and summer weather will keep things, keep things warmer too. So avoid it by keeping your beer cold, drink it fresh. There's no reason to warm age a milkshake IPA. Okay. Okay? Most beer, 99% of all beer brewed in the world should be kept cold and drunk as soon as, as soon as possible. You don't want to age it. Mm -hmm. There's like 1% of beer in the world that is beautiful when it's aged. Um, But that's obviously not most beer. So yeah. Keep it cold and drink it fresh. Keep your beer cool, people, or it's going to explode. And when we expl- say right. explode, we mean like just the can kind of pops and you get sticky liquid everywhere, right? Like we're not. Well, that's the case with cans. Um, gla- I've heard tons bottles, of stories. Bottles, of do you know bottles? Too? Bottles are popping. Bottles explode too. I oh yeah. I've so I've never. <laughs> this has never happened to me, but this is a typical home brewer horror story, and it can happen to professional brewers as well. But yeah, you create bottle bombs and. 
I, I mean, this, this is seared in, in my mind. This, this keeps me up at night too. Uh, a friend of mine was uh, homebrewing and he said that in the middle of the night, he started hearing pop, pop, pop going on in his refrigerator and he Heard opened up, or, he didn't open his fridge. He went back to the kitchen and found that the fridge door had been blown open and there were Whoa. shards of glass that had propelled across the kitchen and stuck into his wooden cabinet Holy door. Holy shit. Oh, wow. Wait, oh, this is actually dangerous. This actually oh, Yeah, it can be dangerous. Oh, wow. So please, please. You, wait, you guys aren't drinking beer without safety goggles on, are you? That's oh, like a no. real explosion, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So wear your safety goggles, Larry. You always wear your. Gotta stay, gotta stay your safe around here. Wear a mask. Oh, wear your goggles. Holy, now I gotta have a mask on and some safety <laughs> goggles. <laughs> Gonna get all the ladies, Larry. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that works when you're when my wife is your wife sister. What ladies am I looking for? <laughs> Ignoring the relationship of of our wives being sisters, <laughs> you're still going to get all the ladies. Okay, dokie, Great. Okay, so I just want to touch on that too because that's a that's a little sour. I wouldn't say fun. I guess if your beer, we need to touch on that. What bottles explode? I said, yeah, we need to touch on that. Bottles exploding <laughs> and shards of glass <laughs> being stuck in a cabinet. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know. Well, every, every time I came to visit you, Rich, I didn't know that was a possibility that that could happen. Larry, uh, it's I, I was an accomplished home brewer with a, a lock on my refrigerator door. <laughs> okay, that's right. You did have a lock. That's right. Well, now I just think of like Larry earlier talked about his paranoia, you know, paranoia, but his his intense, oh, his oh, intense fears when man, it came to the virus. No, I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying paranoia. I can see Larry's going to be paranoia, scared right. every now and then. Laranoia? Yeah. But, uh, you know, practice safe beer storage, everybody. <laughs> anyway, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry. There's no practice safe beer storage when the beer is in the when the beer is in the fridge and it explodes and the refrigerator door is flown open and there's shards of glass in the wall. Well, that sounds like home brewing. That sounds like they were going above and beyond. Oh, man, uh, you're alienating homebrewers. I'm not alienating. No, I'm not here, insulting man. them. I'm just saying they're taking on risks when you get into the world of homebrewing. You know, you're, hey, Larry, entering, it's a, you're entering a contract. What? Larry, I have an idea. Why don't you and I start our own beer podcast? Oh, no. I'm too, I'm too <laughs> abrasive. I'm too, oh, hilarious. I'm, too surly and, I'm too surly and alienating. He's <laughs> like, you're, you're dancing around it. Yeah. I know. Well, and Larry's, Larry's paranoid. No, I think I said we were dancing around it. For a no, you're like, I think you're dancing. Should we start over? Maddie, do you have do you have anything else you'd like to say? Welcome to Liquid Bread, everybody. I'm Maddie <laughs> Smith, and with me our master thespian Larry Bates. Hello. <laughs> um guys, it's the summer of sour. Sourmer continues, okay? Sourmer. Sourmer. Last episode we traveled to Jolly Old Belgium to sample the tardy goodness of Waffle Country. And now we're gonna do a little globetrotting <laughs> look at the state of sour in a few more countries. So first off, we're going to do the neighbors just to the west. Wait, no, just to the east. I wrote in my notes west, but I I know geography. It's east of Belgium. Well, what? Germany is also west of Belgium if you go around the planet. Yeah, I yeah, guess so. That, that is true. <laughs> North and south, any direction. This is a long way of saying we're going to Germany. So uh, a Rich, first of all, is there any connection? So starting with German sours, is there any connection with what we looked at last week? You know, the Lambics and the Flemish ales. Um, with German sours, other than what we talked about, which is like the basic idea that, you know, fermentation leads to acid and acidity leads to sourness. Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of connection. 
sort of historically and, and why the two countries are known for some of their sour beers. How, that said, however, um, when you drink modern examples of German sours and modern examples of Belgian sours, they tend to be very different. So, yes, there's, they, they're rooted in something similar, um, but, however, nowadays they've, they've expressed themselves differently. They're, they're, they've mm-hmm. evolved divergently, which makes you know for a richer tapestry of beer around the world. The idea, yeah, you know, we talked about this a little bit last episode. The idea uh, that you're going to brew beer uh, because you have maybe some leftover grain after the harvest, or you specifically grew the grain in order to brew beer because you like drinking beer. Um, you're going to brew this stuff to sort of preserve the the taste and the flavors of your harvest, and that harvest is grain and hops. Um, throw in some yeast and uh, create alcohol and carbon dioxide, and there you go. You got a beer. However, you know, hundreds of years ago, you weren't throwing in specifically the one yeast that you wanted to add to that beer to ferment it. It often was just a a collection of various yeasts and bacteria that happened to be local um, to your area. And you didn't even know that, you know, you needed this sludge or whatever to, to ferment your beer. You just, if you use the barrels again and again, you knew that you'd always get a a reliable beer that would always taste the same. Um, Some of the time that beer was noted notably sour right away because there was bacteria that would sour the beer, probiotic, good for you bacteria, that would sour the beer um, right away. Other times you would get away with a beer that wasn't noticeably sour, but within a few weeks after after you know declaring it drinkable and it had finished fermenting, it would start to sour because there's so much airborne souring bacteria that wants to get into beer. You know, we're not the only ones that like to, to drink beer. Um, you know, bacteria and yeast and all sorts of other critters are happy to, to consume beer. Everyone likes beer. Um, yeah, so beer is always trying to go sour, basically. There's always opportunistic bacteria that's trying to sour cool. the wort that is beer before it ferments or uh, to sour the actual beer. So, yeah, the you know, the clock's ticking, basically. As soon as you start brewing a beer, the clock is ticking on it going sour. So with that said... This is where it gets sort of exciting if you're a historiographer and, um, you know, a cultural historian and all that. It's also sort of murky because there's not a lot of great record keeping for a lot of the stuff. Beer was very much a, you know, a a social good, a cultural good. And, you know, not every brewery back in the 1400s was taking, you know, exact notes and and preserving their notes on how they brewed these beers and how they sold them and stuff like that. Um, And it's also where it's easy to make – stereotypes and uh generalizations about oh beer in this area tasted like this and was brewed in this way that's not always the case it's kind of rarely the case however there are some cultural um and geographic uh yeah again generalizations i just said generalizations could be bad but maybe for for now we're going to talk about some of these generalizations great so bavaria was uh part of uh you know well it was it was its own duchy or and eventually a kingdom in what is now southern Germany. But it wasn't part of Germany until the unification of Germany in 1871. Does that sound mm. about right? From when Germany unified? Um, sometime around that. So for a long time, Bavaria was just this prosperous and populous, uh, uh, largely agricultural kingdom in, you know, basically in Central Europe. And they had cool enough weather that they could not brew a lot of different beers throughout the cold winter months. And so they were brewing the beers that they could brew during those cold winter months typically tended to be lagers. Okay. Cause lager yeast is cold tolerant and a lot of bacteria that will sour a beer is not cold tolerant. And a lot of ale yeast that produces a lot of fruity, uh, spicy flavors in beers, um, is also not particularly cold tolerant. 
Hmm. So just through the the natural selection of the influences of the weather on yeast strains, uh, a lot of Bavarian beer was fairly clean in flavor. Okay, it tasted like the malt, tasted like the hops that were added. It didn't taste a lot like the fermentation if it was brewed in the middle of winter. Okay, summer brewing with summer temperatures allowed for a lot more uh, experimentation as well as a lot more uh, other you know other yeasts and bacteria to ferment the beers. And so summer beers were typically regarded by most Bavarians as flawed. Okay. If they went sour or if they were particularly fruity or, you know, something other than tasting a lot like malt and hops, they were not seen typically as real successful beers. And so laws started to be passed in Bavaria prohibiting the brewing of beer during the summer. And so beer was meant to be clean and predictable and not sour. And Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the rest of Germany didn't have their act together as a large, um, powerful uh, political and sort of business entity that Bavaria was. So there were a lot of other breweries throughout the rest of Germany or the rest of what we now call modern Germany, you know, up in like Saxony, uh, up in, um, you know, Thuringia and a lot of the Hanseatic League cities like Hamburg and Dresden or not Dresden, um, uh, Bremen and places like that. Uh, so they were brewing beer, but the beers were very, uh, you know, they were often sour. Uh, they had warmer weather up there. I know it sounds weird that you're up north, so you have warmer weather, but you're actually closer to uh, the maritime influences of the North Sea. And so, you know, you get warmer weather because of that, not such cold extremes. And so you could brew beer maybe, you know, a little bit longer during the year, but it often had ale yeast or bacteria in it, creating these sour, weird flavors. Okay. Can I actually jump? Uh, I've, can I've been I, talking I just, a lot. Do you want to interrupt? <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. I'm glad you talked about kind of the rules and stuff like that, because that was one thing I wanted to ask about. You know, with Lambics, Lambics are like very specific to one, one certain area. Um, but I wanted to see if, if there were sort of those similar restrictions on when we get to like the styles, like a Goza and stuff. No, or if, no, okay, there, there are not, not those restrictions. Cause Germany yeah, also has not. like Reinheitsgebot, right. And all the like stricter, well, were, yeah. those, were those, were those rules? They're Bavarian. Those are very yeah. much Bavarian rules. That's okay. the thing. And so, so they were, were they law though? Like, were they, were you going to, were you breaking Bavaria. the law and getting in trouble if you broke Reinheitsgebot and brewing your beer wrong? Or was it more, you were just not going to get approval and i don't know i don't know the answer to that um i do know nowadays that even in bavaria where the ryan heights still is you know hugely what is this word you're saying what are y'all saying (laughs) (laughs) ryan heights which is german for uh for purity law okay Okay, it's like a a law and then ryan is like is the concept of, of purity however way back when it was called the surrogate for boat Okay, Reinheitsgebot is only a kind of a modern, a 20th century uh, new name for this thing. Surrogate verbot means you cannot add surrogates. Verbot for forbidden and surrogate ah, for it, like non-beer ingredients, all right? So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a Bavarian law that Bavaria uh, forced on the rest of Germany twice, uh, at least twice, um, during uh, the original unification in 1871, as well as reunification after, I'm not sure if it's World War one or World War Two, but you know, after Germany kept getting broken up after these crazy world wars, it would reunify, and everyone else in in Germany was like, "Well, we can't be Germany without Bavaria because Bavaria is where there's so much uh, cultural identity as well as a lot of power and money." So they had to play by Bavaria's rules, and Bavaria said, "Nope, we're not joining if other Germans are brewing beer with all these crazy ingredients um, <laughs> or you know, sour beers, these weird things. You know, you can't call it beer." So, so, so that, that's the thing. It's not that you get in trouble. It's just that you can't legally sell it okay. as beer. 
Gotcha. So you can't put beer on the label if it's got all this other stuff going on in it. Uh, yeah. Wait, then, okay, so, so, so like if you make a Goza, are they going to be like, that's not a beer? Yeah, so it can't really, well, here's the deal. The, the law got struck down as um, protectionist and anti-trade uh, by the European Commission. Okay. In like in 1993, okay, so it's like modern like consumer so, law, yeah, basically. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, and so you literally can put beer on any, on you know, on any beverage you want. I guess now in Germany, I mean, maybe that's going a little far, but like a Goza can still call itself a beer. However, okay. most of Germany does appreciate the the culture of of and, and they appreciate the Rheinheitsgebot. boat. Yeah, I was going to so say it's so. It's, it's modern. Beer, it's is at the very least it's recent enough that those there are like cultural attitudes that linger. Even though, like, yeah, the oh, for it. sure, yeah, okay, for cool. sure, yeah, yeah. that's good. So to know. It, that was one thing I didn't know how lasting all that the legacy of that stuff was because I know it was obviously yeah, the formation it's, of it's these legit. Days, but, okay. And so, so Goza producers will not, I, to my knowledge, I mean, I can only think of a couple um, in Germany. There's uh, Riedegutz as well as uh, Leipzig, or, or uh, sorry, uh, 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 Bahnhof in uh, in Leipzig, and I don't think either of them actually call their beer a beer prominently on the label. They don't say like, Wait, go, go back to that. Bayerischer What did you just say? What's that one? Bayerischer Bahnhof, which means uh, Bavarian uh, train station. Uh, it's in Leipzig, which is not in Bavaria, but if you go to that train station to take the train to go to, to Munich, um, it's no longer an active train station. Well, I guess it is. There's a subway there. I was there one night. I had a blast, but um, anyway, yeah. So I'm I'm going far afield here. It's a great brewery. So here's the deal. I'll I'll cut to some tangents here. Sorry, my um, I've moved on from Twisted Karma. I'm actually drinking a uh, a milkshake IPA. It's funny oh, that we're really? talking about. Careful, it. And, careful. Uh, it's I know it started hitting. Me. Well, I mean, I have opened, I have opened the can safely, but uh, I think I think the uh, the alcohol has hit me a little bit. Um, anyway, so the um. Careful. The beer in Leipzig that I had at Bayerischer Bahnhof uh, is not as sour as it is in the United States. So you get the exact same beer if you get it fresh at the brewery in in Leipzig. It's it's sour, but not crazy sour. And if you get it, if you drink that same bottle in the United States, uh, it's had another what six thousand miles to to traverse. Oh, so that to makes get a difference. The, the flight yeah, will make so a there's, difference. Yeah, so there's still some live bacteria in there. You know, we're talking specifically uh, a variety, you know, various strains of lactobacillus bacteria, and so these bacteria will consume any sort of sugars or carbohydrates that they can find and t- turn them into lactic acid. So yeah, that beer continues to sour. Um, but yeah, so it's fun. Go- All right, so Goza is a style of yeah, and beer I'll say first really Goza, G O S E, and it's oh, pronounced Goza, and you can say that with confidence. When you over it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you nailed it, man. You nailed it. Yeah, so G-O-S-E is German. And not, and not related to Goose. Not a Goose. Right, right. So Goose is from Belgium, and Goza is from Germany. And Goza is the German pronunciation of G-O-S-E. Goza. Don't say Goze. Don't say Goes. Say Goza. That's the German way. Um, let, me, let me get a Goza. Thanks. This beer is, uh, exactly. This beer is um, originally from the town of Goslar which is about, I don't know, 100 kilometers or so northwest of Leipzig. However, uh, in the 1200s, when it when like Goslar's like heyday, it was right near some salt mines. And so they were mining tons of salt. The They also had other sorts of mines there as well. They were mining other minerals. And um, during all that mining, they ended up sort of spoiling the river. So their, their river source, uh, the actual Goslar River, or sorry, Goza River? I think it's the Goza River that runs through Goslar, uh, got salty. And so... Um, if you were a brewery of means or a person of means living in goes uh, in the town of Goslar, you had your own well, or you uh, actually um, got your 
your water from the river, but uh, through a canal that was upstream of the point at which it got uh, salty and, and fouled. And so the beer of Goslar back in the 1200s and, you know, even the 13, 1400s was not overtly salty unless it was a brewery that didn't have a lot of money and was pulling beer, sorry, pulling water uh, from downstream of the point where the river got fouled. So the beer, so nowadays we talk about Goza as a beer that is sour, but also it's famous for being salty. So that saltiness really just became, um, uh, over the centuries, it became sort of a calling card of the beer yeah. as a seasoning. So it was just All kind right? of an so accident. I suppose it was an accident then, in a way. Well, originally it was an accident, it was... but it wasn't. It wasn't intended to be sour. Yeah. No one wanted it to be sour. So the the fact that certain water in the town was salty did not render it. No one said like, "Oh, this is salty water. I'm going to brew a beer with this and make a salty beer." Like no one really wanted to do that. Nice. Um, also, the beer wasn't overtly sour, and I got all this from the brewmaster of a brewery there called Brauhaus Goslar. So there are uh, books that state the history otherwise, and I'm going on on the record of, of mm-hmm. what I talked to the master about. Um, yeah, he's the source, but he's also a craft brewer, you know, mm-hmm. from yeah. the 21st century, yeah. not from the 12th century. So I don't know exactly how much he knows about all the history, but he's he's you know brewing really really delicious beer in this really quaint, cute little small town. Um, so I'd like to trust him, but I, mm-hmm. I can't say I know. Yeah. Uh, all it's so this hard. Stuff. It's funny because you, you talk about like history of beer is obviously it's it's a it's a form of like a people's history. Um, and totally. it's funny. There are so many when I'm looking up, there are so often little anecdotes that are so anecdotal that are so like sometimes <laughs> we'll be like, tell him. it was like this was created when like a dog fell in the vat and like yada yada. That's what they say. And then I'll dog like beer. and then I'll search <laughs> like I'll spend an hour searching the Internet for one other source that says like some dog fell in that. And it's just not there. And it's, it's a little disappointing. But yeah, there's a lot of little stories like that. So it is hard to like get the real. I like the brewer. I like your approach. I think that's the best. Way to get <laughs> well, it from. thank you. Uh, I do like uh, uh, oh, pal ale. I'm trying to come up with a pun here for <laughs> sort of dog beer. <laughs> yeah. It's not coming out. Sorry. Yeah, I guess it's not happening. Ar- Arfavites. <laughs> oh, there you go. An Arfavites? You went there with that, man. Oh, God. Yeah. I can't not. I like puns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So, so back to go. Anyway. Then. Goslar fell on hard times. The mines closed down and, and basically it became a, a, a backwater city. Uh, and so there, to this day, there aren't a lot of people that live there. It's not a huge town. But um, all the rivers flow in that area flowed uh, southeast toward Leipzig. Okay, So Leipzig is a famous city. Today, it's a big city. And um, that's where a lot of the commerce, as well as the, the, uh, the population of towns like Goslar ended up uh, heading. So they took with them this tradition of brewing this sour beer. Sorry, they, they took with them this tradition of brewing a wheat beer um, that sometimes had a saltiness to it. And the brewer at Brauhaus Goslar told me that uh, in Goslar, the beers were not sour. And I drank his beer. He's got a, a light goza and a dark goza. Both are delicious, and they're only just faintly, if at, if at all, sour. They're just incredibly delicious wheat beers. He said that because the beers of Goslar were popular and because um, they were mining so much good stuff in Goslar, they were sending stuff to other nearby cities like Leipzig. By the time the beer got there, it had soured, right? This happens to beer, okay? back Way back in the day before artificial refrigeration, beer would be loaded up into wooden barrels and put on carts and, you know, drawn by horses to, to another town to be sold. And so during that long time without refrigeration, the beer often would sour. And so he said, 
that Goza became known for being a sour beer in the most popular market, which was Leipzig, because there are way more people there in Leipzig than there are in Goslar. But in Goslar, the beer shouldn't necessarily shouldn't oh. be sour. So I think it's an interesting twist yeah. on this uh, the history of this beer. But yeah, yeah, it's a big beer in Leipzig. It's like Leipzig's famous beer style. Um, and it basically died out in the 1960s with the way a lot of beer culture did due to a lot of, you know, just commercial consolidation. Um, it was also in uh, Eastern Germany. So the, the DDR didn't do a lot of good things to, to private enterprise and to producing a lot of different styles of beer and all that stuff. So the beer basically died out, but it's been revived since the 1990s, uh, early 2000s, um, initially by Bayerischer Bahnhof, um, as well as a handful of other breweries. And uh, today, Bayerischer Bahnhof and Richard Gutz are the only two that I can think of um, in Leipzig that are doing it, uh, that beer and actually um, sending it anywhere. Though I'm sure there are a handful of craft breweries in Leipzig that are just brewing it for local, uh, the local market. But it's a delicious mm. beer. It's a wheat beer. A lot of people think German wheat beers are all banana and clove, the way the Bavarian-style wheat beer is, the Hefeweizen. However, that's not the case with the Goza. It's a wheat beer that should feel and taste sort of like bread, but it also should have some sourness from this lactic acid. Uh, and it also can have some saltiness or potentially coriander added as yeah, well. Yeah, I was going to say, those. I feel like whenever I see the most basic description, it's often it's a sour beer with salt and coriander. And salt, mm-hmm. I know the flavor of. <laughs> coriander i do not what does coriander taste like here's the deal coriander bothers me because i have a hard time smelling it consistently okay uh i smelled some last week because we we're we we're brewing a whipped beer at the brewery and so we're gonna be adding some coriander to it and this smelled like flowers this was gorgeous coriander i'd never smelled anything quite as floral but it's it's a combination of a woody floral lemony aroma mm. okay, so it comes from a spice too, that makes sense yeah okay um, however, if you have, if you blind smell a really simple pork sausage and a hot dog, okay, by simple pork sausage, I don't mean something with lots of garlic and fennel and things like that, just some sort of pork sausage versus a hot dog. The primary variable there is that the hot dog has coriander added to it. So sometimes out of whip beers or gozas, Whip beer is also, so whip beer often has coriander added to it. It's not a sour style, though. But uh, often I will smell a little faint whiff of hot dog in those beers, and it comes from the coriander. Interesting. I would say, to me, this is my pitch. I don't know if you guys agree. Mm. I feel like if I was going to pick one type of sour beer to, like, kind of introduce someone to one that I thought was, like, really good and straightforward, I would would probably go with Goza because it's refreshing, but it's not Mm. too sour. Like, a Lambic seems like I'm throwing something really intense and weird at somebody. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you bring this up because what's making the sourness in both the Lambic and the Goza is primarily lactobacillus, all right? However, in the case of a Goza nowadays, that's the only critter in addition to, to ale yeast that the brewers will use. Whereas with Lambics, they will use – they'll allow lactobacillus in there. Also, Pediococcus is another sort of bacteria that can cause some sourness. Um, there are a bunch of different strains of Britannomyces and Saccharomyces. Those are different yeasts that will create all sorts of weird flavors of, you know, smoke and Band-Aid and uh, horse manure and pineapple and mango and all sorts of weird stuff going on there. Um, and all those flavors come from the variety of different yeasts and bacteria that ferment a lambic, whereas Goza... Um, and Berliner Weisse, and Lichtenhainer, and Kruziskia, and all that stuff. Actually, I shouldn't say Kruziskia. That's not actually sour. But all the, the sours from northern Germany are not typically soured by stuff other than uh, other than lactobacillus. Okay. So you get way more different aromas um, from a lambic or a wild sour or something that's been 
that spent a lot of time in oak, you know, by a lot of time, I'm talking years, uh, then something like a fresh sour, uh, which you get, uh, you know, just in a matter of weeks, uh, you know, in, in something like a Goza or Berliner Weisse. Uh, and then is there with a Goza, is there any bit of that like regional dependence? And by that, I mean, like, again, using Lambic almost as the, as the reference point, like a Lambic, you can you can replicate it elsewhere like pretty well. You can go s- somewhat similar to lambic styles and stuff like that. But a lambic lambic is like from, you know, Brussels. Right. It's protected. Yeah. But is there any of that sort of? Oh, a real goza. You got to get the stuff from yeah. the source. It's a simpler beer style. There are just fewer things going on during the fermentation, and there are fewer. There's, there's a lot less variety of, of flavors and aroma, so it's easier to replicate than it is to replicate a lambic. Um, so it's, there's a lot more temptation to brew gozas all over the place, uh, all over the world, basically, um, but certainly in the United States. And so there are very good versions of gozas being brewed here. It does not have terroir or real regional expression in, uh, in Leipzig or Goslar. Uh, that said, that's the modern version. I think that there, I don't know so much with, with Goza, but up just another 200 kilometers north in Berlin, where Berliner Weisse is from. You know, 10 years ago, the scholars would have said beer, you know, the beer by scholars, I mean, you know, beer historians for the most part, uh, just basically beer dorks that write books that I like to read um, would say, yeah, uh, Berliner Weisses were lactobacillus fermented. And that's that, you know, however, there are re, what am I trying to say? Resurrectionist, re- reconstructionist brewers in, um, in uh, Berlin that are trying to brew uh, old school Berliner Weisses that have Britannomyces in them. The idea that you would, have the ability to brew a beer that was so clean except for one or two things getting in there to make it sour, you know, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago is kind of a fallacy. Sour beer became, or all beer eventually became sour because there was a variety of stuff in the air and in the brewery and in the barrels. They tried your best not to let them get into the beer and, and affect the beer, but it was almost impossible not to. So the idea that you were only allowing lactobacillus in there to create lacto- lactic acid and that's it and nothing else got in the beer to make it sour or funky is a little bit hard to swallow. So I think that, yeah, nowadays you'll, if you go to Berlin, you'll find, uh, you know, you'll find a lot of these brewers that are doing Berliner Weisses that have various strains of Britannomyces. And that's where you start to get some of that terroir. Okay. That's where you get some of the specific stuff that Berlin has. It's a combination of Berlin's air, Berlin's water, Berlin's, you know, microflora that do make those different from, uh, what you'll find in Lambic country around Brussels or, you know, West Flanders for the Flanders Reds that we were talking about, or in San Diego where Lost Abbey brews a bunch of sour beers. You know, these things do change from place to place. Cool. So let's pivot then to on the subject of Berliner Weiss. Let's 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 All jump right. over to that style. I was gonna I just wanna oh. say I, I do I do agree with you. I think it goes uh I, I, I think I I think I would agree, depending on who it is. I know some people that love sour stuff that I may go with something more sour. But I do think Goza is a good one to introduce people to. I, I agree with cool. you. Cool. It, it tends not to be aggressively sour. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it a, – it's a gateway sour. I shouldn't say it's a gateway because it's not always something that you, you need to move beyond. I'm happy to drink several Gozas at a night. That's not a problem. Absolutely. <laughs> so Berliner Weiss. And this is one that I personally have – I have I feel like I've had a lot of Berliner Weisses that have tasted – had a lot of variety to them in terms of I feel like I was mm-hmm. very different Berliner Weisses and I've bought bottles that I then drank and it was like oh this is way different from what I was expecting so what is mm-hmm. the basic character of uh, Berliner Weiss well so like the, it's, uh, when you're talking about these it's almost better to start with Berliner Weisse because it has Uh-oh. generally even less 
uh, complexity than a Goza because it doesn't have salt or coriander added. The two beers are essentially the same. If you look at them from, you know, from a distance, they're both pale in color, cloudy because they are brewed with wheat. Wheat leaves a lot of kind of haze forming proteins in the beer. They feel a little bit chewy, a little bit bready um, from the wheat, but they also feel very thin and drinkable because of the acidity that's in there. The acidity uh, from the lactobacillus ends up sort of canceling out some of the richness from the wheat. But basically, yeah, they're like, you know, they're simple yellow fizzy beers. They're three and a half percent alcohol. They may be five, five and a half percent alcohol. Not super alcoholic. They're not bitter at all. Uh, they don't have a lot of hops that are added to them. And they're nice, bright, fun, sour beers that are sour with lact- uh, lactic acid. And that's it. They don't have any, uh, you know, acetic acid. They don't have any vinegar. They don't have any other um, of those fruity compounds that I was describing last week that uh, – combine with some of those other acids because they just don't have that complexity okay well then so, is it that is it that fruit are added a lot is that why like, yeah, in all right. terms so, of, just in terms of going back to i see where you're going so in the u.s at least a lot of brewers are just a lot of craft brewers are just looking for ways to come up with new styles of beer okay. to either try to lead the pack so or that's at least not a just german divert. that's not german no they don't add fruit to the beers in germany however okay. they add fruit so at the bar, so yeah. in Berlin specifically, at this. the bar, they will add syrups, mm. which is crazy. Yeah, I was going to say, I love Woodruff. Really? I yeah. Love- you think about German beer culture as really conservative. However, that's really we're really talking about Bavaria. That's where all the conservative beer culture is. The rest of the country has these ales, these sour beers, these weird things that don't well, fit neatly into categories. What kind of flavored syrup? My absolute favorite is Woodruff. Is what okay it says it is. Like a, and 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 it's because like honestly, there's this beer, brew house really close to my place, um, mm-hmm. where there's a German bartender who insists on the right glasses, and you have to wait for the uh, glass to become available if it's not there. Yeah. And then one time That's he great. just he was I was ordering this one beer, and he was like, "Do you want Woodruff in there?" And I was like, "Yeah," and I didn't know what I was saying yes to. And then he, <laughs> then he brought, don't say no. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, sure, I don't know. But he, so he come, yeah, he comes you back. You heard Woodruff. <laughs> yeah. But basically, he like came back to me, and it was the beer had like it was green. It was like a bright yeah. green color, and it was like I don't know. It's it's sweet. It was a, it was like a it was like sweet syrup had been added to it. Yeah, and it's not something I usually get. Sweet. Yeah, yeah it was super sweet, mm-hmm. and so it's like kind of like the can, almost like the dessert beer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, much different from like the way a stout is sweet, though. Like I'm, I'm much more of a. Mm-hmm. I don't know, sugary sweetness, syrupy sweetness. Well, here's here's really the deal. So it's a sour beer. Yeah. And the more sour something is, you know, either... You can balance it with sweet. Yeah, you can balance it with sweet. But in the old days, you know, hundreds of years ago, they, people would add fruit to a beer perhaps at the brewery, you know, not and not in Bavaria where you can only add a really short list of things to a beer. But elsewhere in the world, you can add fruit to it. And maybe at the brewery, so they're going to brew a beer that's like half fruit and half grain or maybe at the bar they're going to throw some fruit in or something like that you know there weren't a lot of rules and you just did what was easy and local and popular and in places like berlin where they had a lot of sour beer you know berlin or weisse they would typically add various herbs or fruits and so um the 20th century is when they when a few different companies started to make this concentrated syrup where it's just incredibly sweet it's just you know simple simple syrup right so a lot of water and sugar with Various uh, extracts, I shouldn't say various extracts. So raspberry extract makes the Himbeerschuss, which is German for raspberry syrup. Himbeerschuss. And then you can also have the Waldmeisterschuss, which means woodmaster, like, you know, forester's uh, syrup. And the forester one is bright green and really sugary. And the primary flavoring in it is woodruff, which is a shrub or an herb that grows in Europe 
maybe in the U.S. too. I'm not sure, but definitely in Europe. And it basically sm- it smells like spices. It smells like clove yeah. primarily, mm. maybe nutmeg. But um, it's this weird kind of spicy aroma that's nice and pretty. But then they kind of tart it up <laughs> with with a whole bunch of sugar. Uh, ironic that it's a tart when we're talking about something sweet. Um, and then they uh, uh, add it to your beer. And so your your beer that started off being really savory and really sour turns into something that's bright, you know, like brightly colored, either pink from the, the raspberry or green from the Waldmeister um, and really sweet. Yeah, it's really so nice. So it's a funny thing. It's like yeah. a beer cocktail. Wow. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's really nice. And buy and your house, buy your house, Maddie. Yeah, we'll go. Fans? Dude, we'll go. As soon as we're allowed to go outside again, let's go. It's over on La Brea called worst oh, worst oh, house if you're in la go to worst house whenever you can but because they, they just have it's a great it's a fantastic beer bar they have like i'm forgetting like every name of every german like what's like the thing that has like food pork cut uh, schnitzel perhaps yeah, schnitzel exactly yeah <laughs> i was blanking on <laughs> blanking on very basic words um and good potatoes they have all that sort of you stuff. were just thinking stump weren't you i, was, I, always, That's want Stump. I always go back to stump yeah it's it's like you said it, it kind of is a nice way to keep it on similar to the sour beer but tweak the flavor a little bit that feels like a very unique different type of cocktail mm-hmm. and it also feels mm-hmm. very i don't know you feel pro when you order woodruff in your beer you know i gotta say in is it not berlin pro? it's kind of, it's like <laughs> look old folks <laughs> and primarily i hate to be i hate to stereotype like this but it's generally old folks and women that are that have, are in this culture of like hey I don't want to have the beer as is. I want to do it the you know the old folks just do it the old style way, which is the only way the stuff was served in the fifties, mm-hmm. you know, in the nineteen fifties. And then um, for you know, unfortunately, a lot of women have been targeted with various advertising, like, oh, this is the proper way that women should enjoy this beer. You know, I think there are mm-hmm. a lot of younger like Berlin is an incredibly fun city for pretty much anything you want to do, but especially for craft beer. And there's a really fun uh, vibe for that where like people of all walks of life within like ages 20 to 40 are obsessed with craft beer and beer with tons of flavor. But if somehow you miss that craft beer train in, in Berlin, then you might stick with what, you know, the old advertisements tell you to drink, which is the local Berliner vices that are all brewed by one or two brewery conglomerates and uh, just, you know, sauced up with all this raspberry or, uh, or the Woodruff syrup. So it makes me kind of a noob then it makes me kind of a, <laughs> it makes you cutting edge in the United States. You're cutting edge in LA, but uh, when I go no. to Berlin, I will not, I will not uh, yeah. order Woodruff in there. Well, and the, if you want to be a beer dork, like a nerd, like me, you, you know, you, you go there and you try the stuff and you try it with, with the, uh, um, with the syrups and without and you realize that neither is particularly flavorful or interesting, and you go for all the craft beer that, well, I mean, there are a lot of, like, IPAs and things like that, but also, like, the craft producers of uh, Berliner Weisse that actually have stuff that's um, potentially fermented in oak or has local Britannomyces strains in it. You get a lot more depth off of those beers, and if they're made well, then they are super delicious and super drinkable, and you don't need to add these other flavors to them. So it sounds like you would not do it. Rich, I have done it. it no, okay, like you pause. It. it sounds like you've done it, but it sounds like you wouldn't. No, I don't like it. I like my beer neat. You know, don't put yeah. stuff in my beer. I want to have the way the brewer made it. And if it's a style that needs help, okay. then why did the brewer make it in the first place? All right now, who's being toxic? <laughs> yeah, I, I will say. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna take it personally, but I, I, I like it. It is like a nice thing. If I've had a few beers, I'll like throw it on the end of one. 
Just for a little bit. Because you want to not like it. Do you like it, Maddie? Do you like it? I think it's tasty. Yeah, it's different. It's a weird thing. And also, it's like, oh, if I want something sweet, I do have a bit of a sweet tooth anyway. Uh, cool. Yeah. I was actually, yeah, I was curious for your thoughts on that, Rich. Now I know um, if you drink beer with Woodruff, you're a loser and you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Should we just end it there? <laughs> what, this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Before Larry and I do ours? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then to cap off our tour of Germany, Rich, what's a Lichtenheiner? Lichtenheiner, good luck finding them. <laughs> well, so so I basically, yeah, I want to... Show, I want to use Goza and Berliner Weisse as an example of some of the, the weirdo styles, quote-unquote weirdo styles, that sort of sneaked under the radar of the rest of the world's understanding of German beer. Everyone thinks of Pilsner, maybe Weissbier. I hope so. I really like Weissbier. But uh, they don't really think of all these sour beers. And then there's something like, like Lichtenheiner, which is actually not only sour, but it's also smoked. And so uh, there's some smoked beers from Franconia that are kind of getting famous again. Uh, they're called Rauch beers. Uh, but if you marry a Rauch beer with a Berliner Weisse, uh, then you get a Lichtenheiner. And um, Lichtenheiner means from Lichtenhain. I don't even know if there's a town of Lichtenhain. I assume there is a town of Lichtenhain. But all these are very local beers. So there's Berliner Weisse from Berlin. There is Goz, you know, Goza from originally Goslar and then Leipzig. And there's Lichtenhainer from Lichtenhain. If you've had a Grodziskia, which is a non-sour beer, but it's also a smoked beer, then, you know, smoked wheat ale, that's from Grodziskia in what is now Poland, but in the back in the day it was Prussia. So a lot of these are local beers that express the local culture of Northern Germany. And it didn't have the big, you know, big capital B Bavaria identity of the South. And so a lot of these are from places where there was, well, a lot of these were like old, they were affected by old uh, Hanseatic league stuff. So a lot of these Hanseatic league cities were their own city state and uh, made up their own laws and taxation for trading and for brewing beer. And a lot of them imported a lot of spices. So basically I'm, I'm sort of starting to describe a lot of beer brewing attitude that we really associate with Belgium where each city has its own uh, stamp on things, its own, um, you know, uh, flavor and character of beer. And there are a lot of spices in the beers. Some of them are, uh, well, you don't find a lot of smoked stuff in Belgium, but, you know, a lot of different sour stuff. Every place you go is different. Whereas in Bavaria, it's much more homogenous. I think it's delicious. The quality is amazing. But there's not a ton of regional diversity within the southern part of Germany. But up in the northern part of Germany, there's a ton of, of this diversity. Hence, the Lichtenheiner, why do we have a, you know, uh, 3% alcohol smoked sour beer? Would this do well internationally uh, compared to Pilsner? Probably not. But it's, uh, I assume, a delicious beer. I've actually never had one. I, I was going to say, it. I don't think I'd ever heard of it before. So it's it's hard to mm-hmm. find, is what you're saying. Yeah, totally. Okay. Well, it's just, it's one of those regional specialties that never you gotta go. got big outside of its region. Mm-hmm. And gotta then go it got crushed by Pilsner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've, had, you've had it, though. Really. No, I don't think I have. Oh. Not sober. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Um, are there any other are there any other German sours, or is there anything else about German sours that you want to add on? There are other German sours that I do not know of. Basically, okay. the, my takeaway from this lesson in like ger- German sour stuff is that like every old city had its own style of beer, and a lot of them up north were sour, sour, where they weren't scared of sour. They didn't they didn't chase sour out of their out of their beer palate. So yes, there are others. No, I don't know them. Yeah, and, but no, uh, no, like big ones that we can seek out here. And no, okay. No. Hey guys, let's hop on a plane and fly on northwest to the United Kingdom, huh? 
Uh, I'll, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Your geography is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. I, I slowed down a little bit because I'm like, if I say the wrong direction. <laughs> I was going to say, my, my interest was peaked, Rich, when you brought up uh, that mm-hmm. British, like when we're talking about the locations we're going to do, you brought up British Sours were kind of an essential yeah. stop on the Sour Tour. Mm-hmm. Other than assuming like there, oh, there must be British breweries that make Sours because there's, you know, breweries in the US that make Sours. I didn't know that there really was anything more to England or the UK mm-hmm. um, and their relationship with Sours. Right, yeah. They're they're under the radar because they never really intended their beers to be sour. And so they were rarely... Let's put it this way. Most British beers for hundreds of years had some sourness to them, but they were not overtly sour beers. And because of the the role of the pub, you know, that's primarily where, where Britons would go to drink their beer. Um, you know, bottle beer sort of existed starting in the 1800s, but most of the time beer was all on draft. And so you went to the pub and it was up to the pub to serve the beer and really to blend the beer so that they would often serve you a pint. If you got a pint of beer and you could request which beers went in it, but in general, if you had a pint of beer, it would often be a blend of more than one beer, more than one cask of beer. And so that was in part because the brewer knew that uh, some of the, you know, the older cask was starting to sour. And so the the brewer wanted to, or sorry, the publican wanted to be able to sell the rest of that cask. And so he, I would say he or she to be, uh, you know, uh, open-minded about this, but the fact is back then, this is all, all gentlemen. And so the, the guys would, uh, you know, blend these, um, you know, blend back the young beer with the older beer to sort of cover up some of that sourness. But sourness was a very natural part of the palate of, English beer uh, or British beer, um, you know, back, you know, really until the, until probably World War II. And so a lot of, so, so one thing that England gave to the, the rest of the world, show the rest of the world for how to brew beer was to brew an ever larger scale of beer. They had, um, you know, the, the incredible wealth from their empire back in the 19th century. Um, and they had these, the, these, the sort of war of ever larger vats of Porter. Uh, Porter was the biggest beer that they were selling. And as their vats got larger and larger to, uh, it wasn't just for economies of scale. It was because um, if they aged the beer for a full year, then they could get the best efficiency out of, um, out of their yeast fermenting all the sugars from their malt. Okay, malt wasn't very efficient on its own. The malting practice um, had a hard time of getting a lot of fermentable sugars uh, out of the grain and eventually through the brewery into the beer. So if you let stuff sit around for a year, you could get the most alcohol possible out of that malt. However, during that year-long aging, the beer would also sour. And so the brewers eventually figured if they did very large vats of beer that would age for a year and blended it with smaller proportions of younger beer, that beer was the right palate or the right flavor for what people wanted to drink. It was just slightly sour and it was more mature. And that mature uh, flavor was not only in part from uh, lactobacillus making the beer sour, uh, as we discussed, but also from Britannomyces. So that's the wild yeast. Britannomyces doesn't actually make stuff sour, but it does add a lot of flavor. Did I miss this? What, 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 is, the, what is that beer called? 
Uh, just well, it's, they don't do it anymore. Okay. But these these beers are called vatted porters or vatted, okay. you know, pale ales and no, things like that. No one's doing like a vatted. That. Yeah, that's kind of where cool. I was wondering. Yeah, where yeah, they're that delicious. They're try. fantastic. They're they're hard to brew, and there's not a big market for them. It's not oh. a market for regular porter nowadays, unfortunately. But there was actually there was an experiment. So there's a there's a British beer historian named Ron Pattinson that collaborated with. Oh, it's a brewery from Massachusetts that's closed now. Pretty things. Is that the name of it? Pretty little things? Pretty things? Pretty um, things. They were this really fun, small, nomadic brewery based in Boston. And they brewed a bunch of really fun beers that had tons of flavor, and they often had a historical bent to them. And uh, so Ron collaborated with them to brew two different porters, one from like the way porter would have tasted circa 1780 and the way and then the other one was the way porter would have tasted circa 1860 or something like that um and those two beers were both fascinating and delicious and they were very different from each Mm. other even though they were both what londoners would have just called porter way back when so yeah the, the the history of beer is fun to learn about the more you can connect well yeah i'll say it again the history of it with the actual flavor is super fun and ends up being just completely illuminating to, um, you know, about how beers taste nowadays. I kind of lost the handle on that one. <laughs> Did I dance around it too no, much? That's good. You danced right on top of that sucker. <laughs> I've run out of, I've run out of Adler. Right on it. Yeah. So like you said, it's not something that we can really seek out any specific styles now. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't want to mislead folks into thinking, Britain and the you know the British beer tradition is all about sour beers, or that there's one specific sour beer that you can get your hands on that will blow your socks off because it's so sour. Just the fact is, most of their beers were tinged both with sourness and mm-hmm. with Britannomyces. Britannomyces is a this wild strain of yeast, this quote unquote wild strain of yeast that has a lot of different species, and and the species that were being that were most often found in British beers ended up adding these sort of whiny notes to to the beer. So it gave it this in sort of a what would it be? I guess sort of like a, a deep red fruit note to it, um, as well as a nice alcoholic note, as well as uh, it would dry the beer out so it wouldn't be so sweet. And would have a little bit of an earthy, kind of leathery, musty note to it. So maybe even like cigar, you know, cigar wrapper, tobacco box, something like that. Um, and so Britannomyces is this yeast that we always think of for sour beers, which is kind of wrong because it doesn't generally make beer sour. It just adds aromas and dries the beer out, consumes all the fermentable sugars. But also it, uh, it's something we associate with Belgium. Or maybe with, you know, pioneering oh, yeah. sour beer breweries in the United States. But in yeah. fact, it's... We got uh, it last time. You know, well, yeah, exactly. So it's all over England, though. And Britannomyces, the word, actually means British fungus. Oh. Okay, Brett, B-R-E-T-T, yeah, is for yeah. Britain. And then Myces is like mushroom or fungus. So it was named by uh, by a lab technician in um, at the Carlsberg Brewery in Denmark uh, when when he was as analyzing all this information. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to you. How do you retain all this information? Good God! Uh, the more beers I have, the more I make up. It's it great. Out, yeah, that, we don't fact check this stuff. Yeah, this is a dangerous <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, well, thanks for Rich. Those uh, those British sours sound like real uh, tasty beers that we'll never get to enjoy. From the sound yeah. of it, good good luck. <laughs> good luck. You know what, guys? I hope you have your tickets. 
because the ocean liner is leaving the port. Uh-oh. It's Uh-oh. going due it's south. Sailing due south, south and, and west. east. The rest west, right? <laughs> west. We're going. Yes. No. It goes west. We're going west. We're crossing the Atlantic. The Atlantic. The Atlantic. And we're <laughs> yeah, and we're yeah, landing yeah. at the. You know, we're going to stop at Ellis Island and get our names altered slightly. And then we're going to hop on a little ferry boat and we're going to go into New York City. And now we're in the United States of America, where we got a lot of sour stuff going on. Um, and Rich, it, it seems like the, the main deal with sours in the United States is just that there's a lot of experimentation. Totally. What was that? A, was that a question? No, I just, I just thought, I thought you might have more of the lesson. The lesson's over. I took care of it. (laughs) My milkshake IPAs hit me. uh, (laughs) Look, there are no rules here. There are no Mm -hmm. rules, and they're just a bunch of brewers who are really curious about all these other styles of beer that are available nowadays, as well as historical brewing methods that are no longer practiced that often, and so. uh, you know, so they started tinkering around with with sour beers. So this is back in kind of the '90s, late '90s, is when I think um, New Belgium started doing this stuff. Uh, the first, actually, yeah, there's an interesting story um, that I'm sure I'm going to goof up a little bit, but they uh, brewed a sour beer. So they started brewing a beer called La Folie. So they, being New Belgium, started brewing La Folie, which in French means the, you know, the, the folly or the mistake, you know, the, the crazy idea of brewing a sour beer that had been aged in oak and potentially fermented in oak as well. Um, and so they sold it. Uh, it didn't sell very well in the beginning, but now it's a very famous beer. It's like, you know, the pioneer beer, pioneering beer in the U.S. sour beer scene, um, it was overseen by a guy named uh, Peter Buchert, who is a Belgian um, brewer that had come over from Rodenbach. Uh, so he was hired by New Belgium, and uh, so he had a lot of good sour uh, brewing expertise and oversaw this program to develop this beer. That exact barrel ended up being regarded as this this lucky barrel that just you know it it has a really important part in american uh beer history and sour beer history and has been traded it's almost gone on tour and so there's a great sour beer brewery in berkeley uh just east of san francisco that i used to go to when i lived in san francisco and it's called the rare barrel and they actually the, the two guys that opened up that place ended up finagling and getting this exact barrel from new belgium to That's start cool. their brews in so they started brewing their beer in that barrel and ended up being an incredibly delicious sour beer brewery and they ended up letting that barrel go on tour and so they started you know they shared it with uh, i think with wicked weed and a few other breweries in the united states uh, that do sour beers um so the idea that there's this one barrel or this uh this this home you know this actual physical thing that holds these delicious beers that you know the wood itself is imbued with all these different bacteria and yeasts that will create this delicious deli- delicious beer i think that's a really powerful symbol not only for how good beer can be you know how good sour beer can be because it's in this inside this mysterious barrel that has these magical powers but it also shows that the american side of things is not so regionally based you know this beer this barrel picks up flora from whatever brewery it goes to visit mm. and it started in colorado and then made it out to california wicked weed is based in north carolina i think uh so you know this there's not this regionalism within within the american sour beer system or um, not system but um you know scene but um still a lot of really delicious sour beers are being brewed here that draw on german tradition that draw on belgian tradition 
that draw on English tradition. You know, a lot of different stuff that's going on here. Do you, do you have do you have a favorite? Um, I mean, and, and I know you like all beer, but I'm saying, or <laughs> maybe this: is there one that you've brewed that you've uh, a particular style of sour that you've brewed that you really love, or one that you want to do? Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't brewed a lot of sour beer, but I've brewed yeah three come to mind immediately. Though one is a is the the Flanders Red style that we were talking about last episode. I love that style of beer, Maddie. I know you're a fan a too. Plus. Yeah, it's uh, it's an awesome thing, and I I brewed a, a batch of that one time at Social Kitchen Brewery in San Francisco with my buddy Mike, and um, he and I that beer not only turned out to be delicious, but it was a special thing because he and I had to we made a field trip out of going to get the barrels up in Sonoma in wine country. So we spent the day up there uh, drinking wine and um, hit uh, Russian river brewing company as our last stop on the way back to the city. He was a bartender. So after that full day of barrel hunting, he, he had to step behind the bar and bartend for, for another eight hours. So lucky him. But anyway, yeah, we brewed that beer in those barrels and uh, it was super delicious. Uh, Pinot Noir uh, red wine barrels from hop kiln winery in Sonoma. So, yeah, that's a great one. Um, I brewed uh, with my old brewmaster, Gordon Biersch in San Francisco. We brewed a sour uh, lager. Or no, sorry, it was a sour vice beer, um, which ended up being delicious. We added a, a, a blend of uh, various Britannomyces and uh, lactobacillus and pediococcus strains and aged it in old bourbon barrels and sort of created our first version of a sour wheat beer. So it was it was super fun. And then, yeah, I'm going too long here. Sorry. No, I, don't, I, I love it. I love it. But, no, so no then, like, to get to, like, it's, I feel like it's, it, this is another thing that's difficult. And I kind of said this about Berliner Weisses, and this makes sense that your response is almost the same answer to this, because it, it focused things on the U.S. There's the American Wild Ale. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll order American Wild Ale, and it's sour. And sometimes it's not. Uh-huh. It's a little bit of a, of a wild card. It's a little bit of a grab bag. Do you feel that way? It totally or? is. Okay. Well, so don't you wish you had a specific region and, you know, or, or name of a beer that like made sense, like Berlin or Weisse, you know what to expect. Yeah. You know, Flanders Red, you know what to expect. Goods, you know what to expect. There is benefit in borrowing from a lot of tradition and regionality to creating, you know, a beer that people understand what they're going to get into. And I, I don't mean to say this to throw American Wilds or American Sours under the bus. They're incredibly delicious, but they're really diverse. Yeah. And they're hard to anticipate what's going on there. So I hear you. I don't have an answer for you. Okay, I, yeah. I can get, give you a few <laughs> observations, but sure. that's about it. That's kind of the answer I was looking yeah. for. I was just looking for well, validation I, at the end of the day. Matt, Maddie, you're yeah. just you're a wonderful person. Oh, thanks, Rich. You know <laughs> thanks, I buddy. do want to. I I do want to add. So I this can be a touchy subject for some people, and I was. I was running the Beer of the Month Club for a nice bottle shop in San Francisco several years ago called uh, Plump Jack, and we featured Anchorage Brewing Company uh, one month, and we did – oh, boy, I can't remember the, the beer we did. Uh, it was delicious. Anchorage does a lot of great beers, um, and a lot of them are American Wilds, and I called up Gabe Fletcher. I called up the brewery to get a few questions answered. And uh, Gabe Fletcher, the owner, decided to take my call, and we chatted for like half an hour. The guy was just really generous with his time. I felt like this was an international phone call too, because I was calling Alaska from California, and um, I just I was so pumped at the end of this call because not only was this guy super super smart and super passionate about his beers, uh, but he was just so generous with his time. And I mentioned to him uh, a couple other beers, and I said. These guys, you know, th- these are described as American wild ales. What is your take on them and how are they different from your beers? And he, he, 
he got really upset about it. Uh, these oh, other beers being called wild ales because they're not. I mean, so in his mind, a wild ale is something that is, uh, you know, is it's actually wild fermented. spontaneously. Yeah, yeah. it's either yeah. spontaneously yeah. fermented or at least some of the stuff in it is completely spontaneous yeah. from the air locally, and it shows off terroir. It shows off wildness from that place. It has to speak to a place and time of that, you know, that the beer was brewed and, and, you know, where it was brewed. And so to call Britannomyces a wild yeast is really a misnomer because most breweries nowadays, 99% of the breweries throughout the world that use that, that feature Britannomyces in their beers intentionally are buying them from a lab, you know, and they still make absolutely delicious beers. But when you get a laboratory isolated culture of this yeast, that's so-called, that's a so-called wild yeast, it's not really of wild provenance and you, you know exactly what the, uh, what the strain is going to be. And you know that other strains are not present with that strain. If that's what you buy, it's wild potentially in that the flavors you get from it are less than completely predictable. And they're certainly not what most people think of when they think of beer. So if you give this beer to someone who is used to drinking Pilsner or IPA, they might be like, Whoa, that's wild. You know, it's got all such crazy flavors, <laughs> wild, you know, but that's, that's not the essence, the soul of, of a, of a wild. Yeah, I think while I ask that is like, Rich, whenever we're talking, I mean, when we're talking about beer in general, part of the fun of getting to know these styles is then being able to go and order and know what, know what to expect. Mm, yes. Or if it's not quite knowing what to expect, it's being able to compare it to other things. Yeah. Wild mm-hmm. ales. I'm just like, Oh, did I even order what I thought I ordered? So well, it's kind of almost good, nice you... to know that, know mm-hmm. that, 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 that amount of variability is out there. Yeah. And, and if you look at styles, like one of the most restrictive of styles as far as like, it's the most predictable set of ingredients and beers. Like there's really very little wiggle room. It's probably the, the Munich style Hellas. All right. Mm. There's just like, if you're a Hellas, you know what you're going to get unless it's a bad Hellas. Someone's, you know, mislabeled it. Uh, but something like American wild, I mean, that's like the largest category out there. That's the biggest tent you can imagine. And so from that angle it's like hey let's all have fun you know let's let's have a big group hug and say hey (laughs) your american wild is interesting my american wild is interesting let's learn from it all you know it's just it's a very different approach for brewing beer it's a very different approach for for drinking beer as well yeah and Um, i I like keep in mind i like it it's fun well good it is fun you got to go in open-minded yeah that's i think that's the approach yeah and you said you don't know whether it's going to be even sour or not Mm -hmm. and that is true because again if you're just brewing with britannomyces whether I mean, if probably if you're only doing Britannomyces and not having bacteria in there, then you probably did buy the Britannomyces from a lab and you're brewing fairly sterilely so you're not uh, allowing any bacteria in there. Then your beer is not going to be sour because Britannomyces right. does not sour beer. How about the term? How about the t- mic when- drop? <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's aerobic, if you do it aerobically, it can it can it can sour. But most um, most of the time, you're doing anaerobically. Then, then just one other term, and I this like. Is a whole separate thing, but just the term farmhouse then, mm-hmm. does that also have the same issue? Because I do feel sometimes I'm ordering a farmhouse ale and it is a sour or a farmhouse ale uh-huh. ends up being more, you know, kind of herbal and more like a Saison yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and has that sort of like funk, farmhouse funk, you know, farmhouse funk to it. Can I tell you that I hate okay. the concept, the name farmhouse? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like it's like saying something it's like a I'm thinking like a Martha Stewart like pottery <laughs> collection and the pottery is like 
called rustic, you know, rustic elegance or something. It doesn't mean anything. Like, what, what the hell yeah. does that mean? So Farmhouse is – so some influential books came out. This set of books came out in um, the, boy, I guess early 2000s, published by the Brewers Association. And that's where I first learned about Farmhouse Ales. There's a book called Farmhouse Ales, and it discusses uh, primarily saisons in it. And that th- there's so often in the United States, there's so much exuberance to brew interesting beers that have not been brewed before, or sorry, that aren't popular in the American market yet. And so there's a lot of playing telephone where one or two specific beers or one or two books or something, there are one or two influences that influence a beer that's brewed by a, a handful of breweries in the United States. And then all the other breweries in the United States brew a beer that's their best approximation of what that, of what that first handful brewed, right? And so the, the beers don't necessarily re- reflect the original concept. And so something like Cezanne, it's not a name that really sells itself. It's not, it doesn't mean much in the, in the U S that obviously doesn't mean anything in, in English. It's a French word. Uh, and so brewers that wanted to sell this style of beer were like, Oh, well let's call it a farmhouse ale. Hmm. All right. So beers have been brewed in farmhouses all over the world and not just Europe, all over the world for centuries, for millennia. Okay. You take grain and where's grain grown? Grain is grown on farms and you let it ferment, and you end up with some sort of approximation of beer, right? I don't know that it tastes like a saison every time, and I don't know that it tastes like sake or chicha or whatever you want. But, you know, all these things are brewed rurally on farmhouses all over the world. And so to peg this specific style of saison as the only farmhouse beer is, is disingenuous, I think. Also, people assume that, in the United States at least, they assume that saison's or that farmhouse ales and saisons are interchangeable, and that uh, they should always taste like lemon and pepper and herbs and be very dry and uh, and hopefully delicious. Okay, that's a saison. Okay, that's not a farmhouse ale. And they often will talk about Bières de Garde as another type of farmhouse ale. That's a French style of beer that's very malty, very dry, but not particularly bitter, not particularly herbaceous. Um, it's a completely different style of beer than a saison, but it's often in that same kind of tent as uh as uh, as farmhouse sales so just yeah buy, buyer beware with that i guess yeah don't don't say farmhouse around me <laughs> <laughs> no it's good enough Grr. um have you ever been stumped have you ever been stumped have you ever been stumped by a question <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> well i feel like although once you've established yourself Sometimes. as enough of an expert then you can like rich says you can just make up the answer and then they won't they won't catch you so what you're saying, Maddie, is that he's making up stuff. Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying he Ma- might be. Maddie, no, it, sounds, it sounds like you're on it today, Maddie. Maddie like is you're on no it. good. Like, what am I? Maddie's just it, yelling at me. It sounds like you're on it today. Hey, I got the solstice <laughs> logger in me. Yeah. So let's Larry, learn. thank you for your, your confidence in me. I'm not sure it's <laughs> no, entirely well, in well placed, but thank you. I believe in Rich. What are, a bun- what are some breweries where we can seek out some good sours? There's a lot of really great breweries, and there's a lot of breweries that have really good reputations mm-hmm. cast a large net so people in different regions can find stuff what are some of the bigger names and also by bigger names i mean ones that you stand behind um, and think are some really good places yeah. to get a sour beer yeah this kills me i mean there's just so many good breweries that brew sour beers and there's so many breweries that aren't really known as sour breweries that have a great sour beer that's a, a one-off beer maybe it's just the only beer in their portfolio that's sour 
so I do not want to give short shrift to anyone. However, there, there are a handful that are just near and dear to my heart that I just, I love. Um, so Jolly Pumpkin comes to mind. Ooh. They're out in Michigan, New Belgium, certainly in Colorado. Um, they're a big brewery. Uh, they've been bought out by a foreign brewery. So I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to say, oh, poo poo on them. But you know what? <laughs> they still have an incredible amount of incredible beer so keep keep drinking keep drinking that's our beer i promise you'll enjoy it yeah lost abbey i mentioned earlier down in uh san diego russian river uh i mean Vinny and natalie are fantastic people brewing fantastic beer um up in santa rosa in uh northern california did you say terrell did you say terrell did you say brewery terrell not yet i'm getting there because there. <laughs> i was about to say good lord that's well yeah i want to hear you guys your guys ideas yeah brewery terra is amazing so the brewery b-r-u-e-r-y is an awesome spot there it's owned by a master cicerone so uh patrick rue is an amazing guy doing absolutely amazing beer and he's got a sour place called brewery terra and it's it's awesome absolutely love the beer right, the exactly three of us that. have been there so yeah we, we all went there one day and had a good time yeah, don't want to forget them. Uh, uh, Jester King um, in Texas, Oxbow in Maine, Anchorage up in uh, Alaska, Hill Farmstead in Vermont, Rare Barrel in Berkeley in California. You know, these are these are definitely on my short list. Um, just, yeah, awesome, awesome beers. But that wasn't a short list, man. That wasn't a short <laughs> list, but I hear oh. you. But that was a good range, though. I think it's because people are in different locations. It's hard to find necessarily, you know. Oh, like, I, 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 I'm not mad at him. He just needs to stop saying short <laughs> list. He needs to say that's on my yeah, long list. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to like super under, I, yeah, what do you guys want to add? I was going to underline big time. Oxbow is uh-huh. probably my favorite brewery that I've been to in the U S cool. Awesome. And also a place I really like in Portland that I think rich, you did something there Which maybe Portland? recently, uh, Portland, Oregon. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The other Portland. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Cascade. hello. Cascade. Yeah. Cascade. Cascade. Yeah. I, I, Fantastic it here. was a place I wandered into one night, um, after eating at this little Russian place called Kachka, which I'll also recommend if you want to try some mm-hmm. little Russian. I've heard of that, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> Russian food's interesting. But, uh, yeah, we wandered in around and we saw this brewery and I didn't know it was Sours and I walked in and I just fell in love with it. So Cascade, Cascade is the Portland, Oregon one that I really would, uh, recommend. Yeah. Cascade's excellent. Yeah. Larry, you got any sour faves? Tarot. Any place that Tarot. does a pickle beer? <laughs> I mean, I want to try that pickle beer. Um, but um, the brewery, man, Tarot, 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 Tarot mm-hmm. however you say it, that, oh, <laughs> I can I can dig it. They're good. They got, awesome I mean, yeah, it. that Tart of Darkness is one of my... Oh, <laughs> God, that Tart of Darkness is <laughs> great. The tart of yeah. darkness. So, you know what? I think that brings the beautiful summer of sour to an end. Uh, the short summer. It was Two a episodes? short summer. Yeah, it was a <laughs> quick summer. The Montana summer. <laughs> well, we did it, guys. Congratulations. <laughs> and you know, if you hate sour things, next week, next time we'll be back to uh, to you know malty. Well, maybe we'll do something very malty or something next time. So, uh, like always, if you've got any questions for Rich, uh, email us at liquidbreadpodcast at gmail dot com. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Things like five star reviews on uh, Apple are really helpful to uh, boost our visibility and we really appreciate any support. And if we have more listeners, we'll try harder guys and feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at, at liquid bread pod. Uh, so rich, do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah. So I, I've been hinting at these videos I've got on YouTube the past couple of times, but I now they're now up and I'm done with, it. I've got like six awesome. of them up. I'm pumped about oh, it. Nice. Got a bunch of glassware stuff. Check them out. YouTube. Cool. Is there a, what's the channel? Or I guess YouTube, you can just search. There's a channel. Master, yeah. master Cicerone, rich Higgins. Cool. Is the channel. Okay. Awesome. And Larry? Uh, I, 
I mean, look, Instagram, the talented Mr. Bates, Twitter, talented Mr. Bates. I'll have some stuff. I got some stuff brewing. 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 You know, <laughs> right, now, right, now, right now, the yeast is eating the sugars and, <laughs> and looking at making alcohol in different flavors. It's an ale. It's an ale. So I got some stuff brewing. So like maybe in a in a couple of weeks, I'll have, I, next time I'll have something to plug. Great. Uh, and you can always follow me on Twitter at, at Matty Smith. I mostly just like retweet things about wearing a mask these days. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And, in t- <laughs> and until next time, I'm going to let one of you guys do it. No, I'm not doing it. I can't. No? I only make fun of whoever does it. That's what I do. Rich? Hey, everybody. Happy beering. Yay. Happy happy beering. Yay. (laughs) It's a fantastic phrase. I know. I just like to make fun of it. It's our one thing.